I'm Stephen Crafty coming to you from RMIT University in Melbourne and you're listening to Talking Design. I'm here with architects Brett Nixon and George Forty from Nixon Tullock Forty Architects and they're a relatively young practice, been in business for about five years and they're here to talk to me about some of the day-to-day -day issues they deal with, some of the work that they work, you know, their projects, and just the general feel of what it's like being uh, an architect in relatively turbulent times. There's a lot of architects on the market and a lot of architects we were discussing previously uh, will do anything, but I think there are a number of architects who say, no, look, we won't do uh, pastiche or faux provincial will stick to our guns. So I've been looking at their work for a number of years now and um, I've always been impressed with what I've seen. So welcome to the show. Um, well, tell, me, tell me a little bit about how the practice started. Um, the, the practice, I guess, um, the practice evolved a little bit out of discussions that I had with Emma Tullick and George Forty independently. Um, George I'd worked with, Emma was um, a colleague of of 20 years and we both talked about setting up a little practice um, I guess I thought maybe I'll introduce the two of them and out of that and a number of discussions came Nixon Tullock 40. And Brett what was the idea behind a practice when a practice starts you always have a certain value system or goal that you want to achieve what was the basis for uh, Nixon Tullock 40? Um, I guess we, it, it was interesting, I mean particularly as two of the, the partners hadn't worked together, um, we were interested obviously in, in contemporary work but I, I guess of a, a restrained nature in, in, in some respects. We, we weren't a practice, or we weren't I suppose architects that um, did overly Fussy. decorative sort of work. Um, we, we were Architects are obviously all in, interested in it's, it's domestic work. Well, or? yeah, 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 yeah. It was a practice that was going to be about. Obviously, it's starting at, at domestic work. Both George and I had had uh, in, in other practices had done larger projects, so that yeah. was we we were looking for practice. Obviously, that was we you know had intentions of growing, but but also maintaining um, residential work as 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 an as a form of work to test new ideas and um, and I think that's something that you know will never go from the practice. It's you know, interesting I've noticed a number of your houses that you've renovated in the last few years have been post-war 1950s homes mm -hmm. um, and it's actually quite a difficult juggling act to retain and renovate a, a home that's quite significant. Mm -hmm. I mean there's one that you did by um, quite famous architects John and Phyllis Murphy mm. in Kew mm. uh, which would have been a challenge because it was a cream brick very simple 1950s house that John and Phyllis designed mm. uh, and a lot of people a, would have knocked it down but pe pe people buying it might have said look it's just a very plain post-war house we can do what we like. What are the issues dealing with a significant house like this Phyllis Murphy, John and Phyllis Murphy house? I think, I think houses of those of that period have a have a very sort of distinct um, sort of uh, I suppose if you could apply a one-liner to that house um, you know there's not it's not cluttered with any any decoration or detail or anything like that so it's very hard to, to add to that without um, I suppose diluting its original product um, 
and, and that's that that house was a beautiful house when we went there I mean before did the owners appreciate the significance they, they, they did. did it was interesting because it, the client particularly didn't want to live in Kew but found this house and went did she know about Phyllis Murphy or? Uh, I, she, she works Probably. in the design industry so I think I don't know whether she necessarily knew who they were, but she knew that it was a good house. Mm. Um, she appreciated its bones. Yeah, and and you know I remember going there for the first time. I mean, it really had been quite untouched. The house was originally, uh, I think, fifty-four or fifty-five, and it had a, a a renovation done in fifty-seven, and not much since then. So mm. there were all these exquisite little details mm. that. You know, I mean, we we didn't want to go and pull those out. They is were, it they difficult? Were beautiful. <laughs> it is difficult, though, when you're upgrading a, mm. a, a classic house like mm. the one in Kew, where to make those changes. I mean, you must feel kind of pangs of guilt or trepidation when you're actually making any changes to significant homes, mm. and yet people want contemporary conveniences mm. like en suites mm. and things that we're in brackets meant to need to have. Mm. And certainly the older style of houses are, are easier in a way because their original layouts um, are so vastly different to to the way that we would design a house now that it becomes very easy to, to make that clean break and let the old be the old and the new be the new. Um, but with this house, for example, it, it was quite clearly, a, you know, from day one when we first saw it, it was quite clearly a very well thought out house. It had been orientated correctly. The, to the, the north. Exactly. Yeah, mm. the, the living spaces were in, in the right space the kitchen whilst you know very dated was in probably the right location so it, 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 we're basically making these contemporary sort of insertions into the existing fabric rather than a victorian house for example or, you know a little single fronted cottage where you would make that clean break and, and just sort of do a new an entirely new addition at the back Right. In terms of uh, going back to the house or as an example the 50s house in Kew what did you actually do to it new living rooms, bedrooms? Um, there was, most of the spaces stayed in their original sort of configuration. Mm. Um, there was minor adjustments as to, to where some of the openings were and so obviously how the entry area worked and, and there were, yeah, I mean there were things in that house that, um, that maybe we wouldn't have done that the client probably mm. requested that weren't, I mean they weren't disasters but they probably were, um, I know certainly the the brick paving in, inside the front door, I thought was great. I love that. So you retained. I that. probably would have retained you that. Didn't retain mm. it, we didn't right. retain it. We didn't retain it. It went to bluestone, which is yeah. fine. I mean, I'm not, you know, mm. not offended by yeah. that. But, um, and so it, yeah, largely the configuration stayed the same. But in that the, the rear addition that had been done in '57, um, there's an ensuite in there. But that clearly wasn't and from knowledge anyway it wasn't done by the Murphys and it wasn't did you as, did as you end up contacting Phyllis to find out no we didn't actually she's still very active really wonderful um, wonderful um, figure in the design world mm. and um, uh, really quite extraordinary mm. um, the other thing I was talking to you before and I think it's an interesting area generally for renovating houses is I think at the moment building costs are so high that people actually get quite thrown mm. when they're presented the tender or the mm. series of tenders. How do you deal with people's expectations from the start in terms of what what they can expect the figure mm. to come in? And because 
pricing has just gone through the roof. Mm, absolutely. Um, I think we, we as a practice try and be very, very honest up front. So when we have an, a, an initial meeting with a client um, and we take down their brief of spaces, we, we uh, I suppose we, we don't hold back and we, we tell them the truth of what we think it's going to cost. Whereas maybe Before the tender even comes in. We, before we even start work, we, we can, you know, we'll say to a client that whilst their budget is 180, what they want is 300 or 400. Um, and that is in in that initial meeting is usually very deflating for them um, because it really does you know it affects their you know the, the dreams of what they want to create. Sometimes they come come back with a reduced brief um, and get us to do less. Sometimes they Go come back and say <laughs> say uh, you know that's that's fine. We're, we're happy to spend that money and 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 sometimes they go somewhere else but, but, I, become, but I think it's becoming a big issue it is it is but I think it's um, it's it's a pointless task for for everybody for, for builders to price it for us to design it and for clients to, to go through the process if ultimately it comes back in and it's double what the in, initial budget was because they'll just say no that's exactly they'll yeah. just walk away yep yeah, exactly right disappointed it's just it's disappointing for everyone yeah, no, I've, I find it's becoming more of an issue, mm. and and maybe people are. Do you think people are being unrealistic in terms of what they put on their wish list? Um, I think uh, I think it's a, a combination of things. One thing is um, most people only go through this process once or twice in their life, um, and you know, quite often I don't know where they get their initial budget figures from, whether they're getting it from renovation shows or whether they're getting it Talk from talking to their, <laughs> to their parents uh you know what they what they spent on their reno or whatever it is but um but you know as you mentioned building costs have has have escalated hugely in the last five to ten years hmm. um and if you know it's, it's a bit pointless asking someone what they spent on their renovation eight years ago because it's an it irrelevant number up. these days um, so i think people do come in quite often with unrealistic uh, expectations on what they can get for their budget. What are the areas, Brett and George, in terms of if I have a budget of say, you know, six hundred thousand, mm. the tender comes in at eight hundred thousand, mm. I can't go anymore. What are the things that you advise generally to cut back on? Things that people can do without. What's a regular thing that? Uh, well, I think we we our philosophy is that if we put it out to an open tender, we and we get those prices back, we would. Tell the, we would advise the, the client to, to pick one builder um, and then I suppose uh, let, let the builder know that they've won that tender, put everybody in a room and say, right, we, if the project's going to go ahead, it's going to go ahead with you, um, but it needs to get to a certain figure. And then we would have a, a quite a close um, working relationship with that builder to work back work where we can and what are trim some of the things, things back. What are the things you generally trim off? Quite often. The obvious, like the swimming pool and the cabana. Ob and the, yep, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Yep. Um, we joinery. We we we, we um, joinery is a very expensive um, trade in any renovation. So for an average, I mean, it varies, but for a typical renovation, how much can joinery well, be? Seventy thousand. Well, it, it can be easily anywhere between sort of sixty and one hundred and twenty, depending on on the size of the the renovation. I mean, a kitchen alone is yeah. anywhere between twenty five and thirty five. So um, we we I suppose as a practice do. Uh, we're quite joinery heavy, if if that makes sense. We we like You're joinery heavy. We, yeah, we we like to detail a lot of joinery and um, into our spaces. Um, mm -hmm. So that's usually an area that we can find some efficiencies. And quite often, clients are happy to say, "Well, we we won't put the the built-in robes into a certain area, and we'll 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 put those in in a couple of years' time when we can afford them." The other point that you brought up. Uh, 
just prior, uh, was the fact that these renovation shows mm. on television are creating a false uh, impression of what things cost. That you can just knock up things in three days. Mm. Is it making your job more difficult? Do you find people actually ring you and say, well, how come we saw this? And, you know, you're quoting that. Mm. Well, uh, it certainly doesn't... Uh, it uh, certainly it does affect clients' expectations on what they can get for both their money and for the amount of time things take. Um, I'm not quite sure how on these shows that they get their paint to dry so quickly or mm. their floorboards polished so quickly. Do you quickly. think they're underestimating people's intelligence? Uh, I, well, mm, I don't know. I need yeah. to. I suppose I need to be careful of what yeah. I say just in case Channel 9 rings tomorrow. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it certainly isn't making our job any easier. That's that's for sure. Uh, but I think the other thing is is the um, is the the mass built housing, um, and and what uh, what those houses are being advertised for. That you can get a five bedroom home with triple lock up garage for what is it four hundred thousand or something. Yeah. Um, whereas a, a tiny little renovation to a single fronted cottage same that thing. is an architecturally designed product um, costs the same thing. Yeah. Well, that is hard for people who don't understand. Mm. And they are vastly different products, ultimately. Yeah. But to, to some people, they, you know, they say, "Well, it's got three bedrooms and a kitchen and and a, and a garage. Why? You know, what's yeah. the difference?" Um, now, getting off the track of money, because I find it depressing, to be quite honest. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> I think every every person in the design area gets depressed over money, and I'm I'm certainly in that category. It was an angular or curvaceous steel first floor extension to a children's wing, and you had put uh, a film. A graphic. A graphic film yeah. across it yeah. of parts, car parts. So it looked like this forest of machinery. <laughs> so it was I like mean, a wonderland, you know. I mean, that, that project was interesting because it, it, it had, in, like every project, there are, are particular quirky things about, you know, different houses. That that house, whilst, it, you know, we, I remember talking to you about this at the time, about the, the little Victorian reproduction piece at the front, and then... Then a rear extension done in you know the late nineties that structurally was fine, architecturally was dreadful. So, I guess looking at that project and and the budget that the client had, we were about retaining what we could. So we were able to, in that instance able to retain the roof structure. We were able to retain the the, the floor, the boundary walls, etc. Um, and I guess if if that house had been a knockdown we probably would never have come up with that response that that was getting born on, out of yeah Brad, getting on to knockdowns it seems to be uh, a lot of architects are very keen to knock over and i've seen a number of fine houses uh, that have been replaced with pretty poorly built new houses and how do you feel about integrating you know if a client says you will want to start fresh if there's a significant house or a reasonable building on the site to start with, mm. what are your feelings about retaining that house? It, it is a tricky juggling act, uh, and especially now with the um, with the five star and or now Green six star, star, star. Um, and uh, you know all the environmental regulations and all that sort of stuff that we need to to meet. It does become quite a, a juggling act as to what you maintain and and what you get rid of, because um, obviously to bring an older house up to scratch um, can be quite expensive and, and, and the I suppose you get better efficiencies if you're building a new house but there is a there is a, a line um, 
you know, we need to look at, at the, at the, I suppose, at the client's brief and, and look at it from a um, from an efficiency perspective um, and find out where that line is as to whether or not it's maintained or or, um, or demolished. I think um, typically, uh, typically we would probably sit on the side of retain what we can um, and uh, and go from there rather than demolish our that, house completely. That be said, I mean, I think that of the knockdowns that we've had, um, generally they've been fairly poor houses. I mm. mean, they, you know, often... be more expensive to renovate. Yeah. But, and, or maybe just not a house that's really worth saving. I mean, maybe it wasn't of, of much merit to begin with. No. What, I mean, either or, George or Brett, you know, what do you think are the issues facing people looking at housing at the moment, building a house? What do you think are the, are the main concerns? Uh, well, certainly, I think the in environmental side of things uh, uh, is a big concern, um, and that's um, I've, I've, it's an, it's interesting because that's a, obviously a social awareness that's that's come about there, um, but there's also a regulatory side of it as well, which we need to meet. Um, the other one is, is cost, as we've discussed, mm. but cost is a dirty word, so mm. won't dwell on that one. <laughs> um, I think um, uh, there's big issues around planning and the planning process at the moment. Um, which not many people, which I think the general public aren't. In terms of what, George? What in terms of when you say de problems with the planning process, you think people are uh, we're over controlled or? Uh, I, I I believe so. Um, well, well, I think the, the the guidelines are okay, but there's certainly um, issues with how it's delivered um, and then the times that it's taking. Um, I think the as as the times to get through applications ex exactly. Through. Mm. So I think How, as what, what's the period that you can be looking at for? Well, the 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 the, uh, the the rules and regulations say three months, but we usually tell a client that expect six months um, before you get a planning permit. before you get a planning permit. Ex expect six months and don't be surprised if it's twelve months. If it's less than six months, then it's a bonus. And then of course, then you have the renovation or the new house that can take a year to a year and a half. Yep. So we could be looking at two and a half to three years before your. Mm. And certainly, I think there's a there is a uh, a role that the government can 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 look at the state government can look at in that, as uh, as the industry is quietening down a little bit at the moment, uh, I think it is a is a good thing to stimulate things along by allowing by speeding up that planning process, um, and getting things, uh, I suppose, moving projects from from. Initial uh, from our initial discussions with the client to, to putting a shovel in the soil uh, by condensing that time frame, uh, I think would certainly help stimulate things along a bit. The other thing that is interesting that I think uh, because we have uh, a relatively young history in terms of architecture that we've become almost too vigilant with heritage issues mm. um, and sometimes you'll see streetscapes in inner city areas that have become all heritage and when as you said this this house we were talking about before wasn't even a heritage house it was no. it was built <laughs> you know 20 years ago in a Victorian style and then it's called heritage yeah. how do you deal with anomalies like this but, I mean look interestingly enough we have probably as a practice never had massive issues with heritage which is it, it, i mean it, it, are you not working in heritage no areas? we, we do the opposite all, most most of our houses we right? do all the time um yeah it, it's it's interesting i mean I'm, I'm just sort of wrapping up the construction of my place at the moment in um in a city area and 
Um, you know, some of my neighbours and, and other people that live in the area have been quite astonished what I managed to get through in a heritage area. But what did you manage to get through? Well, it's it's um, it's nearly three storeys. Well, it's three storeys at the rear, but it's a, a very clear distinction between the old house and... Uh, and is it a uh, cottage or a terrace? It was a terrace house, yeah, a weatherboard terrace house, mm. um, which essentially has been rebuilt much as it, as it was, um, with quite a large contemporary addition at the rear that kind of acknowledges the, in its form I think it acknowledges the the house uh, that was there but well I, I had no comments from heritage on that yet my neighbors on the northern side um, had terrible trouble do you think one of the problems with and this is I hear regularly is that uh, in terms of issues and conflicts is that the communication is often not there either with a, a government authority or with a client that uh, things get stalled or miscommunicated and there are issues. Is it communication sometimes, do you think? I'm not saying that yeah. you don't communicate to clients, but do you find that if clients are aware of all the issues, then mm. the process is less of a shock to their system? Yeah, very much so. It's, it's, it's the responsibility is on us to, to I suppose, brief them correctly as to the process so the um, other thing I was going to ask you George is uh, and I think it's an, it's uh, something that most people are interested in how do you find an architect that suits you both design wise and personally uh, if it's not through recommendation how do you actually know that one architect will be right for you is it just looking at their work is it talking no, oh, to I them? think it's very much about about meeting a number of architects which obviously takes a lot of legwork for people but uh, but I, I don't think as you mentioned before a project can take three years um, and it's a it's a close working relationship for that period of time so you need to be very sure that you know, that you're, you're a good fit work, mm. absolutely so uh, and that being the case I think uh, um, you know sitting in the living room and just looking at websites probably isn't um, isn't enough due diligence from a client's perspective. Um, I think they uh, they need to you know, find a, a short list of clients and then uh, of architects, sorry, uh, and then go and meet with with all of them. And it's and it's largely comes down to, um, to to character and how the two, whether the client and the architect, you know, have have that sort of good chemistry, if you like. Do you, are there cases where you will actually reject a client if you think that chemistry isn't there? Um, I don't think we'll no, I don't formally know. reject them. However, um, you, you can spot the the problems. The, the, you can spot the clients that uh, I suppose are going to be more difficult than others. Um, as you know, Brett mentioned earlier, the, the the clients that come with more of a, an open mind, um, I think, are the ones that ultimately end up getting a better product, and they tend to be the ones that really enjoy the design process and enjoy the way it unfolds um, rather than some other clients that come with quite an analytical kind of project management approach and they just try and manage the the whole uh, process um, and ultimately in, it ends up in a very um, uh, I suppose regimented kind of architecture that just ticks boxes kind of thing rather than a well, I think that's the problem with a lot of architecture at the moment. It's ticking boxes mm. and people are obviously happy with what the results, but 
is it actually advancing the case of mm. architecture or just supplying a series of things that you know en suites you know european mm. appliances mm. concealed laundries mm. you know does that say anything about architecture or is it just a, a you know glorified well, glorified spec house. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, some some people come to us, and uh, and from right from day one, they approach the the renovation or whatever they're doing. They approach it from from the perspective of what its resale is going to be like, which you know, like a little yeah. mini development. Yeah. And and we try and steer them away from that and say, well, it's it's not a development at all. It's a it's a house for you and your young family, or, or this that that's the other an, thing. I think that's an excellent. And point. it needs to capture their personalities. Um, and the way they live and all that sort of stuff. If it's just a mini development, then ultimately it's just a glorified spec house. Mm. Look, thanks so much for coming in today, um, George and Thank Brett. Thank you for the invitation. And, <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. And I hope people think uh, very carefully about when they're approaching their next architect because it really, it can be a joy. Absolutely. Or, and, or it could be an absolute nightmare mm. uh, if they don't deal with it in the right process so look thanks so much it's been a pleasure and you've been with Stephen Crafty talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne thanks for listening <laughs>